Pastor Billy. Um, we haven't done this in a little while, so I want, to try, I want to do something that we haven't done in a little while. And I'm going to actually give you a mixer question and give you a moment to stand up and talk with somebody. That used to be my job every single week. Somehow I got cut from this responsibility. I'm not really sure what happened here. They pushed me off the stage, John. I don't know how that happened. But uh, um, here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to tell someone around you. We're not going to take a long time with this. I'd like you to tell someone around you, what is one of your pet peeves? Like, what's one of those things that just really kind of get... Now, listen, you got to be okay with people here. Let's, let's not use these. I'm going to tell you some of mine, and I'm trusting that you guys aren't going to intentionally use this against me later on. So, uh, uh, what is something that you would just say, oh, man really bugs me when people do this. All right? You have 90 seconds right now to tell someone around you, what is one of your pet peeves? All right. Sounds, sounds like we have a few of them. All right. Let's, let's bring it back here if we could. I know I started you talking and now I'm not going to let you talk anymore. So uh, we'll have to rein it back in. So the way it sounds, folks, it sounds like... Uh, what's, what's happened here? Chaos. All right, here we go. So, it, uh, we, obviously, since you just totally stopped listening to me, we, we have some pet peeves. Maybe some of your pet peeves are mixer questions. Like, how dare they make me stand up and talk to people at church? But, uh, uh, yeah, I know some of you are out there. But, um, I tell you, I, uh, I have a number of them, and, um, I'm a teacher. I teach at Faith Christian Academy. I teach the middle school and high school. I teach some math classes. I teach some Bible classes. And I I love what I do. Um, And every day, students come into my room and push the buttons that are most of my pet peeves. Uh, And some of them will be familiar because some of them are sitting here who do it. Uh, Like, we get questions... Always a wonderful math question of, Mr. Kepley, why do I even need to know this? You know, that's always, that's one of my pet peeves. I hate that question. And I tell students, they don't need to know this. They're welcome to get a job that includes phrases like, would you like fries with that? And that's, that's okay. You don't have to know it to do that. That'll work. No problem there. Um, I have other, other ones too. I, I've noticed as uh, the longer I've been teaching... And in the authority position I have in the classroom, it, it has become more acceptable for the students who are under my authority to ask the question, why? I'm not really sure how that came about, but that bothers me a little bit too. Glenn, that bothers you? Like that, like why? Because I said so. You know, like there, why is not an essential question at this moment. It, I told you to do something, do it. Um... And one of my biggest pet peeves, and this doesn't just relate to the classroom, although I see it every once in a while, I hate it. I hate it when people act younger than they are. What I mean by that is this. 
I, I hate it when people act like babies. Like something about, like, I, uh, I have a 10-year-old, an 8-year-old, and a 6-year-old. And I bet in the last week, now we're on spring break, so we're around them all day, every day for this past week. But I bet in the last week, I have said the phrase to one of my children, probably 15 to 20 times, so-and-so, are you a baby? Then stop talking like one. Like, I, I hate the idea of people acting younger or sounding younger than they are. And I get that in the classroom too. A group of ninth graders or 10th graders will be sitting around laughing at something and saying, doing ridiculous things. I'll be like, that is pretty funny. When you were in second grade, that should have been funny. Now you're in ninth or 10th grade. It's not funny anymore. Knock it off. And uh, like there are different, I just don't like, honestly, I don't even like it when people are around, like holding, holding a baby talking. I'm like, Stop. The baby doesn't understand you any better. Like, stop doing that. Whatever, whatever it is you're doing, stop. Like, there's no need for that. It, it's, it's just weird. And, and something about, I just, I don't like that. And we're going to talk more about pet peeves a little bit as we, as we get into this. But uh, I'd like you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. Our goal today was not just to discuss pet peeves. Um, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 28. And um, a, a few months back... Pastor Lowell was planning ahead and, and looking at what he's going to be preaching on, and he told me, he's, he asked me if I'd be willing to, to preach one Sunday, and he was going to be doing a, a little, a short series on the concept of discipleship, and he knows that this is something that I'm very passionate about, and, um, and he asked me if I'd be willing to take a Sunday and open up God's Word. Um, and so I want to read a section of Scripture that we're going to be familiar with, and I want to take a little bit of time, and I want to talk about it this morning. And I'd really like to challenge you on something, um, challenge each one of you with an idea this morning. And the idea is this. Actually, it's two ideas. Number one, are you a disciple? Number two, are you making disciples? And I want you to think about those two concepts as we go through God's word. I'm going to use a little illustration with you as well. And and I I want those two questions to run through your mind. And I want you to really ponder those two ideas this morning. Uh, I want to read Matthew chapter 28, verses 18, 19, and 20. It says this, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Before I get into this verse, I want to share a short video with you on some thoughts on this verse or this passage. When I was a kid, we used to play this game called Simon Says. All right, most of us have played that, unless you're really young, because there's no app for it. Simon Says is... uh, you know, you just, Simon says, pat your head, you know, so, okay, you know, Simon said it. Um, it's just, it was a very simple game, but it's so weird how in the church, Jesus says is a totally different game. If Jesus says something, you don't have to do it, you just have to memorize it. You, 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 you study it, you memorize it. You guys, it, it doesn't make any sense, a lot of the things we do. When he tells us to go out and make disciples, and how many people in the, our churches are actually making disciples? But they memorized it. 
You know, when I tell my daughter, hey, hey, Rach, go clean your room. She doesn't come back to me two hours later and go, I memorized what you said. You said, Rach, go clean your room. I can say it in Greek. (laughs) My friends are going to come over and we're going to have a study on what it would look like if I cleaned my room. (laughs) She knows better than that. And so why do we think we're going to come before the judge one day? and quote everything that he said, and talk about how much we know. It's just, it's just this black and white stuff. If I just started with Scripture, I'd go, here's what I would do. I would start making disciples. With Francis Chan, if you're not familiar with him and you get an opportunity to read some of his stuff or watch some of his stuff, he's excellent. Um, but he brings up an, ex- an interesting point. He brings up a, a very... Interesting idea, and he did it in a, in a humorous way. I love the idea of memorizing it in Greek. That, that was a, uh, but he brings up a very interesting point, and that point is this. We know a lot about what this thing says. We've memorized good portions of it. We can quote it. We can get together as groups and talk about it. But what it really boils down to is, are we doing it? Is, am I doing anything? Is something happening? Am I actually doing what we're called to? And if you look again at Matthew 28, verse 18, it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I find that an interesting way to start because Jesus wanted to make it clear from the very beginning, listen, there is no greater authority as to what I am saying than me right now. Like, I have complete authority to say what I'm about to say. I am the person who can give this bit of information, and I am the one that needs to be listened to about this. And he goes on, and very straightforward in verse 19, he says, Go, therefore, and make disciples. Go and make disciples. He's talking to a group of people that have been discipled. He's talking to a group of people that he spent time with, that he invested his life into, and he is now telling them, I need you to go and make disciples. And he goes on and he talks some more about it. He he gives them some some more specifics. He talks about the idea of baptizing them, which really the the concept of throwing baptism in here is leading me to the idea that there is going to be a conversion that takes place and baptism is a physical representation of that. So he's telling them as part of making disciples, you need to go out and lead people to the Lord. You need to tell people about Jesus Christ and then see them get baptized. And he says, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he doesn't just stop there. So he he isn't saying, go make converts. He isn't saying, go get people saved. Now, it's part of it. It's part of the idea of what he's talking about. But he doesn't just stop there. He would have used different words. He would have said it in a different way if that's all he really wanted. But he goes on in verse 20 and says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now, 
You guys, many of you have been around the church and in God's word for a long time. And so you're familiar with the fact that Jesus had a ministry with these men that he's talking to for almost three years. About three years of his life, he invested into these guys that he's speaking to right here. And then he says to them, go make disciples, baptize them, and teach them all that I have commanded you. Well, he put three years into these guys. It's probably going to take us a little bit of time to do the teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Like teaching them to observe stuff, that's not a once and done. Well, you know what? We'll, we'll get, we'll, uh, I, I led people to the Lord. Now we just bring them to church and, and stuff gets finished there. Everything's done at that point. There's a bunch to this idea of making disciples. And unfortunately, we end up a lot of times just kind of doing what the video just showed, and that is, I know that it's there. I know that the Bible says it. I can quote it. Probably if I had you raise your hand, probably many of you would say, yeah, I have Matthew 28, 19, and 20. I have that memorized. Um, and, and I can quote it. I, I, know, I know about it. I've been in groups where we've discussed it. But I'll be honest with you, I've never done it. I've never actually experienced doing it. Never, never once in my life can I actually tell you about a time when this concept of make disciples has happened. But here's the thing. It's all throughout the New Testament. It's all throughout your Bible. You, we, it doesn't always use the word disciples or make disciples. But in uh, Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is walking along, comes up to two guys who are fishing, and he says the phrase, hey, follow me. And I'm going to make you fishers of men. What follow me means? You're going to get discipled by me. Come on. Let's go. In John chapter 8, we see Jesus say that if you abide in my word, you will be my disciple. In 2 Timothy, Paul tells Timothy to take what he's been taught by Paul and teach it to faithful men so that they can teach Others. That kind of sounds like a whole progression of discipleship, right? Like Paul discipling and teaching Timothy, and Timothy teaching other faithful men so that they can go and teach other people. Like that's that's the whole process there. There, there is this process that is involved where we see other people come to know Christ, and then from that. We teach them. Very simply, folks, a disciple is a follower. A disciple is someone who follows another. But there's, there's a little more to it than just the idea of a disciple being a follower. And that's the idea that the disciple has as his goal to do the work of the one that's be, discipling him. So he is following for the sake of understanding and being able to do what he's being trained to do. You, I'm sure many of you, I'm sure you've gone through a training at your work, right? You, you get a new job and you come in and they have someone hang out with you and there's a person who actually knows what they're doing standing with you to teach you and to train you so that you can do the job that you're supposed to do. That's that same concept. 
That's that same idea. The idea that my job is to be trained or my job as a disciple maker is to train others so that they can do what I'm doing. And Jesus was the ultimate example of this. That's what Jesus did. He gathered men around him. He gathered people around him and he trained them because he knew he wouldn't be here forever and he wanted people to be able to go and do what he was doing. And then he charges us with the idea of going and doing what he is doing. And I want to ask you this morning, again, are you a disciple and are you making disciples? Because here's the deal. I'm a, I'm a, I said one of my pet peeves is um, I, I don't like being asked why when I'm in authority. This one's kind of straightforward, right? It says, go make disciples. There's no, like, there's no room in here for me to say, ah, Jesus, why should I do that? Like, there isn't a, I, I don't really have the position. Not only that, in verse 18, he clarified the whole authority thing. He says, I have the authority to say what I'm saying here. I have all the authority. Go make disciples. And he tells us to go do it. He tells us what to do. See people come to know the Lord. Teach them. Baptize them. And he challenges us in this idea of making disciples. So my next question has to be, if, if we aren't, why not? And maybe, maybe some of you would say, I, I think I am. And I would say, that's awesome. Great job. Please keep doing it. But many of us would probably say, I don't think I do that very much. So my question then is, why not? And I think I have a couple answers because I know what my answer is in times when I am struggling with this. And, and we, have, we have very, we have a number of them. Like, for example, so we're just afraid to. We're a little bit afraid about what we would say, what would we do, how does this happen. Um, a lot of us feel that, really, what, what do I have to offer to someone else? Like, who am I to say that I am worthy of sitting down and trying to teach someone else. Some of us would just say, I don't know how. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I'm hearing the words, make disciples. Unless you're going to give me a two-step process, a three-step, four-step process of exactly how that's supposed to be, uh, I don't know what to do. But here's the deal. We can make all the excuses we want and we can say whatever it is we want about this whole thing, but it doesn't change the fact that it's all throughout the Bible that we're supposed to be doing it. So if I'm commanded to do it, the excuses no longer matter. So if I'm I'm afraid of it, I need to pray for boldness and get over it. If I'm not really sure I know how to do it, I need to invest in learning how to do this. By the way, there's... World Wide Web, familiar with it? You can find pretty much anything. And I'm as far behind the times as they are when it comes to technology, and even I know that it's out there. There's information out there. There are books out there. There are websites out there. Like, it's all over the place, okay? So to use an excuse of, I don't really know how to do that, that's a pretty bad excuse because it wouldn't take much effort to find out how to do that. 
I know, I might be trampling on some toes. That's all right. Um, the Bible says what it says. It says, go make disciples. But I'm going to suggest there's probably a bigger reason, and we hide our main reason behind our other reasons. We hide our main reason of why we don't make disciples behind the reason of, I'm afraid or I don't know how, and it boils down to this. Maybe we're not truly disciples to start with. Because here's the deal, folks. Disciples make disciples. Now, understand something. I'm not calling into question your salvation. But disciples are supposed to make disciples. Because what did I say a disciple was? A disciple is a follower. And his goal is to do the role, to learn the role of the one that they follow. Well, what did Jesus do? He came, died for our sins, but before he did that, he took three years to make disciples, to show himself to this world. You realize he could have come and died for our sins in the first two weeks. I know, that wouldn't have fulfilled all the prophecy. I'm changing script. I get that. But you, you guys get what I'm saying there. Like, he could have come and the dying to save us from eternity in hell to bring us back to a relationship with him that could have happened in a very short time so why three years why was he here so long he had other things to do he was making disciples that's what he was doing i want to challenge you with something this morning i want to show you this little illustration this is not in any way new to me um this is something that i heard from someone else and i want to But it it impacted my life and it challenged me and I want to challenge you with this. This is what's known as a four-chair illustration. If you've seen this before, you're about to see it again. Um, But uh, these, these chairs basically represent the life process, hopefully, of a believer. This is what I'm going to call the discipleship process of what I hope is to happen in the life of every believer. I'm going to go through this, and I want to explain, and and here's what I want you to think about as I go through this. I want you to think about where do you sit, and then I also want you to think about are you satisfied with where you're sitting right now? This chair here, chair one, represents unsaved people. This chair, if you're sitting here, Ephesians 2 tells us you are dead in your trespasses and sins. You have no relationship with Jesus Christ. You don't know him as your personal Lord and Savior at all. You are going through life, and right now, as an unbeliever, the Bible is clear. You are dead, and you still will pay the penalty for your sin. Now, to this person, if, there are anybody, if there's anybody here who's sitting in this chair, I want to encourage you with something. Romans tells us that all of us have sinned. It tells us that the penalty for our sin is that we must die. But it also tells us that God loved us enough to send his son to die for us. That we don't have to pay this penalty, that this penalty is paid for us. You do not have to remain here. The acceptance of what Jesus Christ did on the cross in paying the penalty for your sin can take you from this. You just need to accept the work of Christ on the cross. But a person who sits here 
sorry, but you are dead. You are dead. You have no relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, fortunately, many of the people in the room have moved out of this chair and have crossed this wonderful gap into salvation. And when you get saved, you move from death to life. You're made alive. John 3.3 tells us, as Jesus spoke to Nicodemus, he says, you must be born again. And so, as we come here, we move into this next chair, and this next chair is the, the, the start of our life. And what does the start of our life look like? And this is what I want you to picture as you think about this. This chair is baby believers. No longer dead. We've accepted a relationship with Jesus Christ. We've accepted his work on the cross, and now we sit here as a baby believer. And here's the great thing about this. The weight of all of this sin, the weight of the penalty for this sin, it's gone. I no longer have to pay that. I have joy, I have peace, I have hope because of what Christ did on the cross in bringing me to this. But here's the deal, folks. I'm still a baby. And as a baby... I don't really get my identity. I can't walk yet. I can't talk yet. I can't feed myself. I can't clean myself. My intimacy with Christ spiritually, I'm a baby in my intimacy with Christ. I'm a baby in my community with others. I'm a baby in my influencing of my world. All these things that we've been talking about for weeks, I am a baby in all of them. And let's be honest, here, right now, I am very selfish in what needs to happen because I need other people to care for me. But here's, there's a reason for that. Just who knows how long ago, I was dead. Ephesians 2, verse 5, I believe, says, but I've been made alive in Christ. And now I'm here. And man, is this awesome. And we rejoice over the idea of someone who was dead being made alive. And we rejoice over the fact that there is a new believer in Jesus Christ who has started this process of discipleship, who has started this process of growth. But here's the deal, folks. Too many Christians hang out in this chair. We stay here. We live here. We... We move from there to there, and 15, 20 years later, we're still sitting here. Which basically means I've, I've accepted the work of Christ on the cross, but I still haven't learned how to feed myself through God's word. I've accepted the work of Christ on the cross, but I still haven't learned how to clean up after I've sinned. I still haven't learned how to talk to God and to others about God. I still haven't learned how to walk I don't know how to live this Christian life yet. I'm still a baby in my intimacy. I'm still a baby in my community. I'm still a baby in my influence. And I ask, is, is this your seat? Because if it is, as a believer, whether you are a believer for a day or for 15 years, you should not get comfortable here. This is not where you're called to be. Yes, you're going to pass through this. But boy, you can't stay. This one? 
This is our teenagers, spiritual teenagers, not actual teenagers, spiritual teenagers. They've matured. They've accepted Christ. They've moved from dead to life, and they've matured. I hope as a teenager, if you have a teenager in your house, I'm pretty sure you've noticed they've learned to feed themselves, right? Because your food is disappearing like crazy, all right? They've learned to feed themselves. They're up walking. They talk, maybe not to you, but to their friend, and, you know, on their phone, whatever. They, they communicate with people, okay? They've, they've gone on. They can clean themselves up right now. They know how to do all that stuff. They have matured. They've made great steps. As a matter of fact, as a teenager, they can do a great amount of work too. Group of teens from Faith, or from, uh, yeah, from Faith Christian Academy were just in, in Myrtle Beach on their spring break. And they uh, were the, the seniors. And they went down there, supposed to have, what was it, three days or two days, Will? Two days, two days of work at this place where they had set up to do some work. And there was, I don't know, 17, 18 of them. And I don't know. Eight hours, they were done with all of it. So this guy had laid out all this stuff for them to do for two whole days, and in eight hours, all of it was finished. A group of teenagers can accomplish a lot of stuff. And a lot of people in churches right now sit very comfortably in this chair. They come to church each week. They probably know how to read their Bible, and they do it sometimes. They can feed themselves. They've learned to talk you interact with them, their communication about God sounds very godly. They, hopefully they're praying and they're having communication with God. They sin and they're able to clean up after themselves, meaning get, confess, get their relationship right. They've moved here and they're doing a bunch of stuff. I don't, I don't, please don't, I just like they're setting up chairs, tearing down chairs, working in different areas, playing instruments. They're, they're doing Doing, doing, doing. And that is awesome. That's great. I'm so thankful for these. But here's the deal, folks. This is a process. So just like we definitely don't want you here, and you're going to come through here, but boy, I don't want you to stay. There are a lot of churches and a lot of Christians in them who have have chosen to sit down in this chair and remain here. And this is where they are. And it's great to be here for a little bit. But you can't stay. This is the adult chair. Adult spiritually. Not every adult in here sits in this chair. And it doesn't require a given age to have to sit in this chair. Do you know the biggest difference between teenager and adult? I'll say it bluntly. Adults reproduce. That's it. They reproduce. They make more. This person here, at one point in time, was dead... They accepted Christ as their savior and they were a baby and they struggled through all the stuff that you struggle with, maybe still do or have at some point. They didn't understand the walk, talk, feed, clean. They didn't get their whole intimacy. They didn't get the, the community with us. Like they, they were babies in that and they progressed 
to be teenagers and they matured in that stuff and they have continued to mature. But you know what the biggest characteristic of this person is? This person is making disciples. Folks, we gotta make disciples. We cannot accept sitting here. That's not obedience. It's it's not what we're called to do. My intimacy with God should have grown to the point that I love him so much that I am so filled with him that in my community, or I'm sorry, in my, my, yeah, my conversation, my community, my talk, when I'm around people, they hear about Jesus Christ. And I should want to tell others about him. I should be speaking to people who are sitting here and getting them from here to here. I need people to move from this spot to this spot in my life, in my influence in my world, the world that I'm a part of, the job that I go to, the people that I have relationships with, my family. I need to get people from here to here. I also need to understand that I have people in my life who sit in this chair. And if I am down here as an adult, you know what my desire for them is? To grow. But too often, unfortunately, what we have a tendency to do is we expect the guy who stands up front in church to tell him about this and to make this happen. Well, yeah, I mean, really, Pastor Lowell's been talking about this for three or four weeks now. I don't get it. Why aren't people growing? It's funny. How much time did Jesus, and and he did, there were times when he did this, but how often did Jesus just gather huge groups and say, I'll do all my teaching just to the big groups? He did that every now and again. But even more, he spent intimate, individual, one-on-one, one-on-three, one-on-twelve time with groups of people to tell them, to teach them about what they're supposed to be doing. I wonder what seat you sit in here. And I hope, you'll be, I hope you're honest with yourself in this. And I wonder if, it, as you look at this, and, and here's the thing, I, I don't mean this to be like a sledgehammer just beating down on you. I, I'd actually rather you hear this as an encouragement. Listen, don't be satisfied with your seat. Don't be okay with your seat. Here's the thing. There is such great joy in this. This is the way God designed us to live. It's the way God designed us to interact with one another. It's what he designed us to do. It's why you're still here. Otherwise, get saved, boom, you're out. You go. Be with him in heaven. It's why you're here. And he's designed it. You guys know, uh, many of you, your fathers, mothers, you know this. You know the joy of seeing a child be born? You know the joy of seeing them grow and mature? You know the joy of seeing them make the right decisions and do the things and learn to represent your family the way they ought to? You know the joy of seeing your own children progress through this. This is what we're called to spiritually. And listen, folks, it's not just the job of the people who stand up front here. So I I hope you figured out what chair you're in. 
And I want to talk real quick to these two. If you think you're in one of these two chairs, and then I'll, real quick, a couple applications here, and then we'll be done. If you sit in one of these two chairs, you need to find somebody who sits there and ask them to help you get there. Here's the deal. That takes a little bit of humility because it requires you or me to say, I'm not all that. I don't have it all figured out. I don't know everything. But you need to help get someone to help you get here. By the way, community with others. That's what we're here for. We're here to help each other in this. No one's going to say, ah, figure it out on your own. I had to figure it out. You figure it out. Like, no. That's not what we're here to, to encourage. And, and here's the deal. We want an army of this influencing Martinsburg. That's what we want. Jesus came and he turned this world upside down. And if I'm a follower of his, I should be doing the exact same thing. I should be standing out. I should love him. I should love others. And I should be influencing my world in a way that is phenomenal. But to have the greatest influence, I have to be here. I've got to get here. If you are sitting in this chair, number one, praise the Lord for you. Continue to do what you're doing. Continue to encourage people. Find people who are here and keep bringing them. Please don't be satisfied with where we sit. Let's pray. God, I thank you that we have the opportunity just to be able to take just a couple of moments and look at this passage. And, and God, I, as I think about your commission to us in Matthew 28 and, and what you've called us to, God, I hope we take this seriously. I hope we realize our responsibility, our role, what we're supposed to be doing in it. God, we need to be disciple makers and we need to have a heart for it. It's why you've called us here why you've kept us here. And God, I just pray that you give us wisdom, give us boldness, give us the humility that we need to ask for help. And I pray that you would, we would be able, as a church, to be able to impact this community in such a great way. In Jesus' name, amen.